Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. This is from the, uh, the hymn we just sung. To mock your reign, O dearest Lord, they made a crown of thorns, and they set you with taunts along that road from which no one returns. Help us to know that glorious is your crown, and that thorns would flower up upon your brow. Your sorrows will heal our own. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Christ the King this morning. We are in a sermon series entitled The Road to the Cross, and we are encountering, uh, we're looking at Jesus' encounters along the last 24 hours of his life, the many encounters he has on the way to the cross. Last week we looked at his uh, encounter with a trial, a group of people entitled the Sanhedrin. Uh, this Sunday we're going to look at his encounter with, I think, the most unattractive character of the whole lot, a fellow named Herod. We're going to look at Herod's past, present, and future. And as we look at the life of Herod, we're going to draw some, uh, I'm going to make some warnings. Uh, we'll learn about uh, some warnings from his life and find some encouragement for our own. So the life of Herod as uh, a life that we can learn by, uh, most of it by bad example. Let's start off with Herod's past. So Herod's past, the Herod that we encounter in this story this morning is the product of his family. Now, there are many Herods that you encounter in the Bible. There's no less than three different Herods. It's a little bit like George Foreman. Remember George Foreman had four children, each of whom he named George, one, two, three, and four. A little bit like a Herod. So there's three different Herods. Uh, there's Herod the Great that we encounter at the birth of Christ, and then he had two sons, both of which were named Herod, one of which we encounter here. As we look at Herod's past, I'm going to make the differentiation. When I say Herod the Great, I'm referring to Herod, this Herod's father. So this Herod this morning is a product of his family, and his family was not great. Herod the Great, well, he earned the name Great for good reason. He had a phenomenal reign. He reigned for some 70 years. Uh, he reigned over a, a great territory. He was called the king of the Jews. Uh, he was a phenomenal builder. He built amphitheaters. He built coliseums. He built um, the, the Jewish temple. If you remember some of the, the history, the, the, the symbol of the Jewish nation, the temple was built, torn down, built, torn down. When Herod came to, th to the power, it was in fact torn down and Herod built it back up again. A phenomenal building achievement. Interestingly, Herod put on top of the Jewish temple a Roman eagle. And that was a, that gives you a sense of the pragmatism of the man. Uh, he was Jewish by name, wanted to appease the Jewish people, but you can imagine their sensibilities, uh, the Jewish people's sensibilities were a little offended by the symbol of an imperial eagle on top of their most sacred place of worship. So what do we learn about Herod? He's incredibly effective. He's incredibly, uh, he's a vast reign, um, very pragmatic. He is not called Herod the Great for, for no reason. But as great as his his career was, his political career was, is in contrast to the real, his personal life, said euphemistically, was anything but great. Um, Herod the Great had somewhere between 10 and 11 wives. Uh, he had around 39 or 40 children. 
he was unpleasant. Again, that's a, a bit of a euphemism. On the day as Herod sensed his, uh, his end of his days were coming near, he ordered all prominent citizens from uh, Israel gathered up and put in prison and gave an order which was not followed. The order was that each prominent citizen was to be put to death the day Herod died. Why, you may ask? Well, because Herod was fearful that no one would cry on the day of his death. And he wanted to ensure that there were some tears shed. Now, thankfully, that was never carried out, but that gives you a little bit of a, oh, gosh, what a great maybe in his political career, but not great in many other aspects. We encountered this Herod, Herod the Great, in the early infancy narratives uh, when Christ is born. And uh, the slaughter of the innocents. Recall that Herod hears of one who was born king of the Jews. So what does Herod do? He sets out to kill every Jewish boy under the age, under a certain age. And what that story describes fits squarely of what we know of Herod the Great. I mentioned this for two reasons. First reason is it's just a helpful reminder, I think. You know, we can read these stories and they can have, start to have this tone of once upon a time. These characters are well known and so they can become a little bit just like flannel graphs or flannel characters on, on a board. No, these are real people. And the events of the Gospels occurred uh, against the backdrop of real life. And all these events about Herod's life that I've just mentioned, they're not they're attested to by sources outside the Bible. And it's a reminder for us, maybe a small one, of the veracity of the things that we're reading. And the second reason, it gives you a sense of the type of father that Herod was. Did I mention that he killed two of his own children? I didn't. Well, again, not a great father. He killed two of his own children, fearful that his children were uh, going to take his throne. What do we know about this Herod? So now I'm shifting from Herod the Great to the Herod we encounter at the at Jesus' trial, Herod's son, one of his 37 remaining children. Uh, Herod, this Herod was educated in Rome, and it is easy to imagine that this Herod we encounter in Jesus' uh, trial enjoyed every luxury, every opportunity, uh, and... I'm speculating here, but I just can't imagine Herod the Great was, was much of a father. You know, I mentioned that he killed two of his own sons. He hated two of his own sons enough that he took their lives. But my guess is that he did not love any of his children enough to be a parent to them, to discipline them. And I can easily imagine this Herod growing up with all luxury, no discipline, every opportunity educated in Rome, and no consequence from his decisions. And I think that's the first warning for us. Herod's past was one that was without discipline. It was a life of luxury and opportunity without discipline, without consequence. I just want to speak briefly to parents. And I know drawing any comparison between the atrocities of Herod's parenting and our parenting may seem like a stretch. I hope it is. But the book of Proverbs says that he who does not discipline their child hates their child. 
does not love their child. Because he who does not discipline their child does not set their child up for success. And for all of our children, we, our children grow up in such phenomenal luxury and phenomenal opportunity. And that's great. That's what you want your parents to have or your children to have as a parent. Absolutely. But we just, my kids, your kids, if they have reached a certain age, they walk around with a $500 to $1,000 phone in their pocket. That's a lot of money. I grew up in the 80s. I mean, my most valuable possession was an Atari 2600, and I remember saving up for Pac-Man that cost like 15 bucks. They, our kids live with such phenomenal luxury. Luxury without discipline is a bad combination because we do not set our children up for success. Just a word to parents. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe your kids are grown. That's okay. Herod's life has something to teach you as well. It teaches you to love discipline. Regardless of your age, love discipline. That's what the book of Proverbs says. He who loves discipline loves life. Love the alarm clock. Hate the snooze button. Love to diet. Love to abstain from drink. Love to come to church. Love those disciplines that are just flat out disciplines. He who loves life loves discipline. And I think that's the first warning from Herod's past is that it was a life void of discipline. It's a warning for us, an encouragement for us to do differently. Second thing we learn, we learn from Herod's present as Herod interacts with Jesus at the trial. Or I'm not sure if it was whatever it was, it may not have been an official trial, but Jesus stands before Herod and we learn something about Herod from his interaction with Jesus. Have you seen or heard the musical Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah, maybe a few of us. I cannot recommend it for any other reason than its portrayal of Herod. But for that reason and that alone, it's worth at least Googling Herod's song because Andrew Lloyd Webber, the director and composer, hits the nail on the head when it comes to, Jesus, to his portrayal of Herod. This is Herod's song from Andrew Lloyd Webber. Herod is in that musical, and I think accurately displayed as um, dissipated, glass of wine in his hand, effeminate, He's a bit of a, Android Lloyd Webber gives him a show tune. And it goes like this. It says, Herod says, Jesus, and remember, Jesus stands in front of Herod. Herod says, Jesus, I'm overjoyed to meet you face to face. You've been getting quite a name all around the place. Healing cripples, raising the dead. Now I understand your God. At least that's what they've said. And he takes his little hat off and says, so you are the Christ, the great Jesus Christ. Prove to me that you're divine. Won't you turn this water into wine? And the song goes on. Turn, take this bread and show me something, Christ. He's curious 
about sacred things. He's a trifler. This is the same character, the same Herod, who uh, imprisoned John the Baptist. If you back up in your Bible, you'll note that John the Baptist was imprisoned, and Herod was reticent to put John the Baptist to death because we're told in Mark's gospel that Herod liked to listen to John the Baptist. So you can imagine John the Baptist rotting away there in prison, and every once in a while, Herod would say, I just want to hear, I want to hear a little fiery sermon. So Herod would call up John the Baptist and say, have at it, John the Baptist. I'm reminded of, uh, it, I'm reminded of a story from our own nation's history. Benjamin Franklin, by all accounts, by his own account, was a deist. He was going to hear the great preacher, George Whitfield, who was, had played such a role in the First Great Awakening. One of Benjamin Franklin's friends said to him, Franklin, you don't believe what Whitfield says. Why are you going to hear him preach? And Benjamin Franklin said, you're right. I do not believe what Whitfield says. But I believe that Whitfield believes what Whitfield says. Franklin was identifying the attraction of conviction. And maybe that's what was going on with Herod. Herod, who put John the Baptist in prison because of his John the Baptist criticism of himself. Still, maybe conviction was so foreign to him that he just wanted to hear someone with conviction. He wanted to be entertained by John the Baptist then. He hopes to be entertained by John the Baptist or by Jesus Christ now. And so we can envision Herod a little bit like a, a man with a box of popcorn in his hand. What have you got, John the Baptist? What have you got, Jesus? Show me something. He's a trifler. Did you know there's only one person in the Gospels that Jesus never speaks to? Last week he spoke, spoke begrudgingly to the trial. He speaks to people who hate him. He speaks to people who love him. Jesus speaks to people who don't understand him. The only person that Jesus never says a word to is Herod, who just does not take him seriously. I think that's a warning to us. Don't trifle with Jesus. Take him seriously. Hate him. Love him. Don't trifle. Sometimes our worship can be a trifling matter. Sometimes we can approach worship with a box of popcorn in hand. What have you got? I wonder how the liturgy, worship, choir, preaching, all those things are important but we're not connoisseurs. This is not a show. Or the purpose of worship is to ascribe to the Lord the honor that is due his name. Herod lived a superficial, he lived a flippant life. I think that's a warning for us. Personally, I've tried to remove flippancy from my vocabulary. I've tried to remove the words, I was only joking, because I've just discovered that you can get away with saying almost anything if you just put that parenthetical, I was only kidding. 
I am concerned the more flippant I am about anything, the easier it is to be flippant about everything. The folk artist Pierce Pettis wrote a song in which he says, everything matters if anything matters at all. Everything matters if anything matters, no matter how big, no matter how small. Nothing mattered to Herod. I'm not suggesting that we need to be serious and somber or sullen, but it's a warning against superficiality and flippancy. C.S. Lewis, Lewis wrote, we are not to be perpetually solemn, we must be merry, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. A warning from Herod's past, a warning from his present, and now a warning from his future. We don't know much about the end of Herod's life. He, we know he was a fellow foul of Rome and was exiled to France. And he lived out his remaining days there. I'm reminded of, anyone have, has anyone seen The Crown, that Netflix show? The Crown tells the story of Queen Elizabeth. And one of the subplots of that, of that uh, series is Elizabeth's relationship, tortured relationship, with her cousin, Edward, now David, who abdicated the throne. And Edward, remember World War II, Edward stepped back from the throne and uh, his brother stepped in. And Edward, now many years later, is just displayed as a pathetic, pathetic character. Whether it was true or not, I don't know. Uh, but he spends his days going from one card game to the next, one drink to the next, one masquerade ball to the next, without any grand sense of purpose. And I think it's easy to imagine Herod doing the same, moving from one card game to the next, no great sense of purpose, moving from one hangover to the next. No great purpose. John Yates wrote a little book on the last days of Jesus and speculated, what if Herod had responded differently? on that day. He wrote that, if, among other things, Herod would have found a great purpose. Think of the Apostle Paul, John writes, getting older and older, yet pursuing dangerous missionary journeys over land and sea, while Herod lies in a Roman bath, healing the hangover of the night before. You see, just a sense of apathy from Herod and a sense of purposefulness that comes with a relationship with Christ. And I believe the same is true for you and me. An encounter with Christ gives life a whole new horizon, a whole new sense of purpose. I'm not suggesting that any of us will have some neat, tidy bumper sticker to guide our life from cradle to grave, but I am suggesting that we all should have a sense of purposefulness, that the gifts and the skills given to you are not arbitrary, that the time given to you is, not, is meant for more than you to simply enjoy it, that God has placed you here for a reason that we are a mission here on earth. And we can begin to echo this little poem that I found in which someone writes, I am one person, yes, but still I am one person. Let me start over. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Those things I can do, I should do. And those things I should do, by the grace of God, I will do. So we see a contrast between Herod's apathy and a purposeful life. 
as we come to a conclusion, let me ask you to imagine that scene of Jesus standing before Herod. You can imagine Herod reclining in luxury, ring on his finger, all the finery, clothed in all the finery, opportunistic friends surrounding him, every vice close at hand. We can imagine Jesus standing, stripped half naked, exhausted and alone. Let's imagine the difference of their pasts. One enjoyed a childhood of every luxury and every opportunity. Never an ounce of correction. Jesus, by contrast, grew up in a carpenter's home. We we're told that he learned to be submissive to his parents. So we see a contrast in discipline. We see a contrast in depth. Herod, superficial. He didn't take John the Baptist seriously. He didn't take Jesus seriously. It's hard to imagine that Herod took much of anything seriously. Contrast that to the depth of Jesus, who never met anyone he didn't take seriously. Let's contrast the depth of purpose. Herod, with no greater purpose in his later years than to eat, drink, and be merry, In contrast to Jesus, a man on a mission, like a bullet shot out of a gun. So a contrast in discipline, depth, and purpose. One path is the way of the world. And one path is the way of the cross. One path is very broad and we can walk down it without thinking. The other path requires intentionality. One path leads to an easy life, but by no means a full life. The other path leads to a full life, but by no means an easy life. And I hope that as we have these two images, this one image of these two people in our mind's eye, I pray that we will feel a magnetic attraction to him, to Christ and the path that he walked. And as we have trusted in him as our savior, we will seek all the more to follow him as our Lord.